So I'm here at the AFCC conference um, with Albert Franz, who has been one of the guest speakers here. Um, Albert, do you want to introduce yourself and what it is that you do and, and then why you're here at the conference? I'd be happy to. I'm actually a professional musician, so I'm, I'm certainly not a lawyer. Um, I'm not a, a psychologist or psychiatrist. I'm not a social worker or anything, I, like probably pretty much everybody else here. Uh, and the, uh, I spoke this morning about identity as a human right. So the, the story in a nutshell is, is that uh, while I grew up with three siblings who were all adopted from Asia in, in, in the US, they, I, they always knew that they were adopted because mm. they looked different. Mm. And I always knew that I was the natural child of our parents until I was about 30 years old and I found out that that was actually a lie. I am the child of my mother, but not my father's child. And, and then, so, so I speak on identity as a human right. So, so it turns out that in my case, I learned that I was donor conceived. So I'm, I'm the product of my mother and an anonymous sperm donor. And, and I was you, never supposed to know. And how did you, how did you find, how was this revealed? Like, how did you find this out? Well, I found out not from my parents, but from former neighbors and family friends. And it was very, it, there's, I won't go into all the, the details, right, of, but, but it was, like, bottom line is, is that it was very important that I know. Mm, okay. Um, and that's really interesting, but you grew up with your three adopted sisters, did you say, or brothers? Uh, two brothers from Vietnam and mm -hmm. a sister from South Korea. And so you obviously knew that they were adopted and you yeah. perceived yourself as the biological child well, of your, both your parents. Well, that's what I was told. It's, yeah. it's, it's funny because when I was in college, my, my two Vietnamese brothers came to visit me, and after they left, a buddy of mine goes, um, do they know they're adopted? <laughs> like, I think so. Yeah. <laughs> but, and the funny thing was, and all along, you didn't know that you were, well, obviously your, your mother's biological child, but you didn't know that the father that had raised you um, was not your biological father. Well, actually... Or did you know on some level? Uh, well, uh, here's a common theme amongst donor conceived people is that even when you don't know, you know. You know, but you, you actually know. know on some level. And, and when I was in college, there was, I mean, there, there were a lot of things that just simply didn't make sense. So I'll just say that and, and, and let's leave it at that. But I, I suspected that, and I told some of my close friends in college that I suspect that my father's not my father. Like, there, there are too many things that were just so different. Like, we, we were just so different, different, and it didn't, too many things that did not make any sense. And that, that was the most logical explanation that, that I could come up with. I, donor conception never crossed my mind. My mother having an affair also never crossed my mind. <laughs> right? So I don't, don't know, you know where, where I came I mean, from. It's just yeah. this feeling of there's a difference there in terms of. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So the thing is, in my generation, I was born in the mid 70s. And this was actually, in, in the US, this was before the era of sperm banking. Sure. So there was no, like virtually no information. So eventually, when I was 35, I ended up having a heart-to-heart -heart conversation with my mother and, and she shared with me the, t the little tidbits of information that, that she knew. Okay, well, I went to a fertility clinic in Philadelphia. And then, okay, we asked, okay, who's the mystery man is it you know it's just some random guy off the street uh, and then the, the fertility doctor reassured us no he's a medical doctor so they felt like some kind of reassurance and 
but that was it. So, and, and then since then, I, I learned a lot about the fertility industry. And basically, at that time, on the one hand, while they often found medical students as donors, they would kind of tell everybody that, oh, the donor's a medical doctor or a med student, whether or not that was actually true. <laughs> so, so, go, so oh, it could, that sounds good. Yeah, yeah it sounds okay. I guess like, we could go through with it. And, but, but often they, they lied about that. So, so who were the donors? Or who were, anyone could be a donor, I suppose. Well, no, I, I, it, was, it was kind of the Wild West uh, at the time. But, but this was then before the era of sperm banking in the U.S., which came uh, towards uh, at, around the end of the 70s and into the 80s. And that, that meant that we didn't even have a donor number. So there was nothing. And they also didn't, they deliberately did not keep any records. Okay. And yeah, that then so 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 there was virtually I had a couple of tiny little tidbits of of information about my own father, and and now now this this is in no way is to devalue my social father, the father yeah. I grew up with, and and we had problems and challenges, and and we haven't had any contact for years, or whatever. But 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 d despite that, this is in no way to devalue him or to devalue my, my mother. But I, I think, so, so basically, I, I advocate for identity as a human right. And, Tell me and, more about that. And, and, and this is this is something that's actually protected by and recognized by the United Nations under the Convention on the Rights of the Child, yep. uh, which was written in 1989 and it's actually been ratified by every UN country in the world except the United States. So the US is an outlier even though it was a primary author of the convention. So, so it's, it's very strange. But I, I spoke about the UN Convention on the Rights of the Child at the UN in Geneva last year so, and the, 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 there have been clarifications by, by UN uh, subcommittees on it, on what is actually meant when when they say that a child has the right to known, to, to, to know, be known by, and be loved by his or her parents, and so so they've clarified that to indicate actually both biological and social parents. So so I, I think I think that's really important. And in cases of, of of adoption where they seal the records, or in case cases of donor conception. And, and now it'll be in cases of surrogacy, right? So yeah. there are a lot, a lot of complications here in, in reproductive technology. Then this right of the child is actually violated. And so in, in a nutshell, I advocate for open sourcing identity. So I think these practices are here to stay. There, there are some people who just oppose them altogether because it, it, in very many, like very, I don't know the exact numbers, right? And, and especially for donor-conceived people, nobody's actually keeping track in, in a lot of jurisdictions, and nobody actually knows how many donor-conceived people are, are, are even out there, and whether or not they know that they're donor-conceived. And it's for that reason, there's, it's impossible to conduct proper studies on this. So, so, we, so, so all we have then is what kind of, what could get dismissed as quote-unquote anecdotal evidence mm. and but 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 that said 
there's a lot of anecdotal evidence from both adoptees and donor-conceived people saying that, that there are significant psychological and emotional issues surrounding identity and like who are we and where do, where do we belong in, the, in, in this world. Mm. And I'll just give that, this is purely an anecdote and this is an example of a good friend of mine who was adopted and she was asked by, by her friend like many years ago, oh, why don't you and your husband, you know, you, you should have children. And, and, she, and she being adopted, she said, immediately this knee-jerk reaction said, you don't understand. I fell from the sky. Even though she, she grew up with very loving, she said she absolutely adored her, her adoptive parents and she had a kind of an idyllic it's childhood. Like a exploded in the womb and just appeared. Yeah, but, but, but still, yeah. it's, it's this feeling of being rootless. Mm. And it's hard, it's probably impossible to describe what that actually feels like if you don't experience it. And, and then the other thing is people will assume in the case of, of donor conception that, oh, well, shouldn't, you should just be grateful to be alive because, because yeah, and the, the but the, but, but Existential the, the, debt. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. You got it. You got it. But, but the, there's, there's one does not imply the other. That's actually it's a logical fallacy. It's a it's a non sequitur, right? Uh, uh, affirming the consequent is the the technical name of the fallacy, right? So, so the assumption is is oh, well, you're good. You were donor conceived. Therefore, donor conception is good. But that that's. Like no, nobody would even say, like, oh, I'm, I'm so grateful my mother was raped because otherwise, without that, I wouldn't exist. So rape is therefore good. No, that's outrageous. Mm. Or, or nobody would say, like, for, for instance, um, bringing together communities is good. Mass shootings bring together <laughs> communities. Therefore, mass shootings are good. It's kind of a, a reductio ad absurdum, right? That's that that it doesn't hold. But yet, in the case of of donor conception or adoption, for, for that matter. Yeah, well, that that's society's <laughs> assumption, and well, we, you can you could be grateful for your life, and you could be grateful for the parents who raise you and the family that you grow up in, and there could still be a, a gaping hole that that you need to fill in because of, of this this fundamental existential uncertainty that you have about who you are. I completely understand. Look, I'm actually adopted myself as well, and I just remember growing up, people would constantly say to me, are you grateful? You must be so grateful. And I was like, uh, I guess. So I was like a child, so I just wanted to give them what they wanted to hear, and I'd be mm. like, yeah, yeah. Like, and, but I was like, I don't know if that really captures how I'm feeling, and it almost felt like I would feel angry when people would say that, because it was like they were putting on me how they think I should feel rather than just asking me how I feel about things. Um, I think sometimes people like to tell rather than listen, you know, maybe mm. that's another symptom of that. Um, and it was very much that kind of thing that being adopted, maybe especially being adopted, you know, I'm Asian, Asian background and growing up, you know, in, um, with other Anglo-Australian kids mainly, and they're sort of like, oh, but you know, you should be grateful and you've gone to a private school and da 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 And I'm like, but you're, you're at a private school too. And they're like, yes, but I was born to this. Like I'm born to this. You're oh, it's, of, it's entitlement. Yeah, it's entitlement, and I'm like an interloper. Oh, know? oh, and then it's kind of <laughs> then it becomes a kind of imperialism. Yeah. And then and then a lot of people are like have uh, yeah, and, and actually I mean, my these are my just kids. Though, yeah. I understand, but but oh, in but my my one adopted brother uh, from from Vietnam 
said to me recently, so, so when, when he was, you know, when we were kids, that like at some point in, in a fit of anger, uh, our, our, our dad said to him, oh, if it weren't for me, you would still be, you, you'd be uh, tilling the rice fields right now. And, and that's, that was a really, really bad thing to say. You know, I guess he said that in a fit of anger, right? But, and, and hopefully regretted that, but the, that is this exact notion yeah. of, of a kind of imperialism and then it's, it's like a cultural imperial, oh, yeah. imperialism. So wait, it's okay to adopt or to commission a, a child if, if you're rich and white, right? Which, which, okay, our family was not, well, okay, the, our parents were white, but, but certainly it's like very far from, from, from wealthy. But, but then the idea is okay, wealthy white parents can do this and that's okay. And, but this, it's a kind of exploitation. And then, so you get into some weird, a, a black some hole places. of bioethics issues. So there are issues in bioethics and issues in uh, surrounding identity. And you have a lot of uh, exploitation with, uh, I just attended a session on, on surrogacy and there's a lot of exploitation of, of poor women who get paid to, ultimately sell their babies off if they're if they're then they call them like the egg donor but they're actually they're the mother of, of the child and then they have a create a contract in advance to that they're going to then they're going to get paid for it so you don't, you're not, and it's, what are your views on surrogacy so you're not, you're not uh, I'm I'm very strongly opposed to any kind of commercial surrogacy okay. I'm, I'm I'm also very strongly opposed to 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 selling gametes like sperm or eggs for profit right now now some people are categorically opposed to certain things like like so I, I do know adoptees who are, who are categorically opposed to adoption now, now I, I, that doesn't make sense to me because there are babies who are genuine orphans who don't sure. have parents and then sure. so i don't see how anybody can oppose that mm -hmm. uh, but that, that's not the case for donor conception. It's not like the, the babies already exist and they are in need of, of parents, right? So that in that sense, it's already crossing some kind of, of ethical line, right? The, but, but I'm also not categorically opposed to donor conception and I'm also not categorically opposed to surrogacy. So, so I know like th there are cases where, let's say in donor conception, where if you know that you, you are a carrier for, a, for, for a genetic disease that can very seriously impact the, the quality of life, and you'd say, okay, I don't want to pass this on to a child, but we want to have a, a child. And then that, that might be a, a very positive example of when it would make sense, right? Uh, so so that, that's, that's, that, that's one example. Uh, so, and then, and then in, in surrogacy, I, I know examples of women who, I, I met a woman who had it was either uterine or cervical cancer or, or something. So, so where be, because of this, she could not carry a child. So if she wanted to have children, then she would need to use surrogacy mm -hmm. and, or, or, or adoption. And, and then that would be understandable. But when I, when I read about, let's say, the, the like rich Hollywood models who, uh, who who don't want to ruin their perfect body so then they they could just commission they kind of order a, a child through surrogacy then that's 
I think we're crossing. You know, no, there's some. Okay, but I, I think that's that's definitely crossing an ethical, uh, an ethical boundary. Let's return because I'm interested. So you're talking looking at identity as a right, you know, and, and the rights of the child to have, to their identity. So you're you would be in favor of like open information. For, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. And but I found out, for example, through DNA testing, at age 40, I found out that I'm half Jewish. And, and I know that then this opens up a whole other can of worms. Yes, yes, I know you can't be quote unquote half Jewish, but then again, here I am, <laughs> and there are a lot of other people like me as as well, and. And then I thought, well, what in the world does that mean? Now, I live in Vienna, Austria. Being Jewish, having any kind of Jewish identity, even just Jewish by blood, even if I'm not recognized but, but by, it doesn't have to be my faith, right? Or even if I'm not recognized by Jewish law, like Halakha, uh, as, as being Jewish, then, but having Jewish identity and living in Austria of all places, is incredibly significant. It's, it's like being black in the deep south in the United States. There is a very, very dark history. So mm -hmm. Austria is the, is, was Hitler's country. Mm -hmm. And you cannot walk anywhere in downtown Vienna, you can't walk two blocks in, in Vienna without encountering some monument to Jews who were killed. And, and like you, you know, you're walking past, let's say, an apartment building, and, and then you said, oh, I never noticed that plaque before. And you stop to read it, and it says, here, the Nazis killed half a dozen children, like Jewish school children, right, on this site. And it, but these things are all over the city. I can walk to the nearest, to the site of the nearest concentration camps. Like, I'm within walking distance. Now, now they're no longer concentration camps, they, 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 obviously, right? <laughs> uh, but, but, but they are literally within walking distance. And so, so you can't get away from it. So, so it is it, so so maybe if I live somewhere else in the world and and discover this this fact about my identity then it might mean something different but living in Austria then where where I know that that they decimated the Jewish population the, the Vienna had a thriving Jewish population of about 200,000 before World War II and now the Jewish the, the estimated Jewish population of in all of Austria is about 8,000 people that's it today and, and this is decades and later. A half. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And a half, yeah, so, so sorry, 8,000 and a half. So very good. <laughs> and, but, but that's really significant. And when you also think of identity as, as a human right, in, in it, like our, our cultural heritage, our ethnicity, that's an important uh, component of, of that. Like, for example, I would have been eligible for what's called a birthright trip to Israel. And like, you don't have to be halakhically religiously Jewish, you just have to have a Jewish parent, right? And then you're eligible for that trip. I'm eligible for Israeli citizenship. And citizenship, like which, what country or countries we belong to, that's one of the fundamental aspects of identity in the modern world. Mm. And that was taken from me. I discovered that at age 40. So it's funny, all along people are saying, oh, you must be grateful, but actually you feel a sense of loss in some ways too, you know? Well, well this was, that was literally my birthright, and that's why you know, like these trips to Israel are called birthright. Mm -hmm. right, but but that, that is literally a birthright that was taken from me. And then and when you think also, the, I mean, it's absolutely crazy when if, if the government 
has records of now in the U.S. that's not the case in in Australia actually in some like I think in Victoria that is the case so so now they keep track of donor conceived people right so that's th th then and, and often they don't know that they're donor conceived so that means that their identity is literally a state secret and in my case I was made in a fertility clinic and. The, then my identity was like literally a corporate secret, right? Because it's a private uh, corporation. I mean, if you think about it in those terms, that's outrageous. So it's like identity cannot be a corporate or state secret. It has to be recognized as a, as a fundamental human right. Mm. I mean, but, Human's but, rights, human rights perspective on identity, yeah. And definitely. Rights of the child as well coming into that. So. Absolutely. And, 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 and I think, I joke about this now, like my last name, Franz, comes from the Germanic tribe, the Franks, who settled what became France. So the country of France is named after the tribe of the Franks. But a Jewish doctor made me in a lab, and, right? So I guess that makes me Frankenstein, right? Well, tell me a bit, just briefly before we conclude up, about your music, so you're a musician as well? Is that what you were saying? I am a musician, yeah. And so, so I'm, I'm a concert pianist. And, and my, my, my claim to fame is that I learned piano as an adult. I got fired a, as, as a child because I didn't grow up with classical music. And then I suddenly discovered at age 17, I discovered that I had the hands for it and I could just suddenly, I, I could just you play do. the piano. I just had a look. For everyone listening, he does. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's very nice. No, but, but I had the, 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 the dexterity and everything and, and I didn't understand how I started playing. I discovered classical music and all of a sudden, like, as, as a little kid, I got as far as level one and then got fired, but I never had that exposure. And then all of a sudden, I discovered classical music. I started, I started playing, like, oh, my God, I can play the piano. Mm -hmm. And I was, like, suddenly playing, like, the hardest pieces by Chopin and Liszt. And now, now that said, okay, I had this natural inborn talent, but I, I, can't, I also cannot stress enough that I might have had the dexterity and, like, the, the hands for it, but everything else I had to learn. So, so I didn't know how to... And if I had to find really great teachers, mentors, and, and learn it over, over time. Uh, so it's not like I was, you know, a, 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 a prodigy and, and could just suddenly play perfectly and, with, and, and beautifully, whatever. I had to learn how to shape a line. I had to learn about harmony and counterpoint and phrasing, like all the things that really count. But, but I had the hands and I had the fingers. I never knew where that came from. I was about to say, does it, your mom, is your mother who raised, like, and she's your biological mother. She's a fast she? typist. <laughs> but, but I found out incredibly that my biological father is a hand surgeon and I got his hands. We have the same hands. So and, 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 and I found out that also that, that my grandmother was a pianist. Oh, wow. I mean, it's not a professional musician, mm -hmm. but, but all of a sudden everything made perfect Things sense. Things make sense. It, and that's, so, so that's what you're wanting to preserve for children and, and I guess when they become adults as well, that right to identity so that they, the pieces of who they are kind of make sense more. I mean, that's part of it. But, but there, there are consequences to, to separating nature from nurture. And like we talk a lot about the, the nature and nurture debate, how mm. much is nurture, how much is nature, right? And now we know that it's at least 50-50, and if anything, it's mostly nature. And I mean, it doesn't mean, I mean, I joke around, so, so what can we conclude from, from all this? And, you know, to say, well, we're just... <laughs> we're just biological automatons with zero free will. <laughs> right, thank you. That's it. End of interview, right? <laughs>
Look, thank you so much for speaking with me. Where can people get in touch with you if they want to know more about what you're, I mean, I know you're a musician, but it does sound like you're quite active as well in this space of, you know, talking about oh, yeah, identity yeah. as a right. Where can they get in touch with you, like, about either, really, or one? Or? Uh, well, they can just Google my name. So it's Albert Franz, and Franz is spelled with a TZ, mm-hmm. or TZ for American in American English, right? But I love the power of the Z in, Ameri- in American. I, you know, I sort of adopted, even though I'm Australian, I use Zs instead of Ss sometimes because I'm really? Zoe. So I feel oh, like it's okay. the power of the Z in, in American, the way Americans write English. Well, we, 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 we have a famous rapper, JZ, right? Is yeah. that, is that like, Z is more elevated in American English than Australian English. So I like that. Really? Because <laughs> I'm Zoe, you know? That's funny. <laughs> Never noticed that. <laughs> Anyway, look, thank you so much for speaking and what people can just Google you and they'll find your, your TED, uh, you, you talk, don't you? TEDx? Yes, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so yeah. I, I spoke, back in 2015, I spoke at TEDx San Francisco okay. on the subject of identity as and a human And they can find right. your videos and they'll Sure, sure. Fantastic. And even my music if they like that. And your music too, <laughs> of course. Thank you so much, Albert.